Well, hello and welcome to episode 50 of It's Never Sunny in Seattle, a Seattle Mariners podcast. I'm your host, Evan James, today, joined by Michael Hedo and Anders Jorstad back from vacation. Um, this week, we're going to talk Mariners. We're going to answer some listener questions. We were really hoping to have a special guest on for episode 50. Uh, it didn't really pan out, but we're still going to try and have a couple of guests on in episodes moving forward. Uh, it's good to grow the podcast, get some new perspectives, talk to some different people who have different expertise about the Mariners, about baseball, um, and just get some more diverse opinions. Not that there's anything wrong with us, but just that we represent, um, you know, we're all Mariners fans. We're all men. Obviously, we can we can mix it up a little bit. Right. So uh, we're going to we're going to do that in the near future. But we're back. The boys are back to talk some Mariners. And I think we'll kick it off. First things first, let's talk uh, the brawl of the century because the Mariners decided to literally <laughs> kick some ass the other day. Um Durs, did you actually get to witness the brawl? I know that uh, you haven't caught all the games recently, but did you manage to catch that? Okay, so I was really annoyed, actually. I um, I had to go like grocery store hunting for a specific ingredient, and I was listening to the game in my ear on the radio, which I do sometimes when I'm out. And I went into a store, I think it was like a Target or something, and the radio feed completely dropped the second winker got hit like it was like oh winker got hit and then like riz was talking briefly about how he was upset about it and then he's like oh the benches are clearing and then it dropped <laughs> and so i was very upset i was like man i don't i have no idea what's happening i don't know what's going on um so i had to watch like many of us um the john boy breakdown <laughs> to find out what exactly happened i also went to bed early the night before so i never even saw the swanson uh unintentional pitch inside to Mike Trout. So I was like messaging you guys. I was like, why is everyone upset? Like, why are the angels upset? Like, why is Why? Why are they deciding to hit our players? Like, I was just totally lost. Um, so I'm kind of upset I missed it. But it was very entertaining to watch in retrospect. And um, it's kind of bullshit that the Mariners got punished the way they did. Did, did we know if Julio like still is being suspended two games or did he get that appealed off? Cause he said uh, he didn't punch anyone. They haven't finalized it yet. I think they're going to, they're either going to give him one game or they're going to drop it is kind of the impression. Um, and I think the Mariners believe that as well because they had Winker and JP both accept the reduction and just go with it. I think if they yeah. thought Julio was going to get suspended, they would have had him roll with it. So uh, Honestly, I'm surprised Winker dropped. didn't, I'm surprised Winker didn't get like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> He was out there, man. I love it. Mikey, but, how does it feel for you to see the Mariners have a little fight after such a lackluster start to the season, as it were? I, I feel like there are such like competing things within me. Um, it is such a, a hyper masculine, you know, kind of thing um, on many fronts. Uh, and with that, I'm I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. But I'll, then there's that. You know, I love I've always loved baseball. I've always watched or I've always loved, uh, you know, guys get into it and brawls and like Richie Sexton charging the mountain, throwing his helmet at the pitcher. So, you know, I mean, I don't think that the Mariners were in the wrong. Um, obviously, we were biased, but just the way that things unfolded, you know, uh, I don't think that Swanson was trying to hit trout at all it didn't make sense in that situation it was it wasn't um there was nothing that you know uh, he had nothing to gain there was no reason for him to do it uh i do think who did they throw at was julio the first one to get thrown at yeah which is 
BS also because he wasn't right. even the leadoff man. So it was very obvious yeah. they were trying to hit the best player on the Mariners because they were like, oh, uh, you're going to hit our best player. We'll hit your best right, player. Right, right. Um, just like a yeah, he's a kid. He's like 20, 21. Um, and yeah, just obviously threw at, at Winker purposefully. Um, and in the John Boy breakdown, you know, you can't hear whoever their opener side of it was, but you can hear Winker say, like, you had to do that to me. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think it's horseshit. Obviously, I, I think the Mariners were going to get suspended. Um, but, yeah, I do think it was it was not equitable. Um, but it was exciting, man. It was like um, it was definitely fun to watch. Uh, just the the more like, you know. The. <laughs> The part of me I can't control is just like, let's go. <laughs> Listen, man, there's it's okay to like the lizard brain is going to take over and the lizard brain loves fights. So it's okay to accept that sometimes, right? Like fights. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I honestly have a, I already liked him, but I just adore Jesse Winker now too. Um, It's hard not to root for someone. Oh yeah. You know, just like. He he does play with a chip on his shoulder. He he's plays with some attitude. It's cool. The funniest thing was when Rysel Iglesias was throwing a fit at the umps, and Jesse Winker was like trying to charge back out there, and someone had to wrap him up. And he they're like, no no no, he's yelling at the umps, not you. And he's like, oh, I was ready to go back out there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's a good time. Um, it is a bummer. It's kind of bad timing, you know. I think we're what three and a half games back, like nothing. Uh. And we're losing, you know, a couple pretty key players. So um, don't don't give me hope, Mikey. I can't I can't take it. We're going to do as we always do. And don't worry, we have Carlos Santana. We'll get into that. Yeah. Can, can we talk about that, Evan? Yeah, let's get right into Carlos Santana, because obviously Ty France went out with the elbow injury of some kind. It's un. He got a hyperextension ligament, I want to say, was the actual diagnosis. But what's unclear right now is if he's going to be gone a month, if he's going to be gone two weeks, or if he's going to be out longer than that. Uh, but they have the Mariners traded for Carlos Santana, who gets to actually play for the team this time. Uh, his fame <laughs> prior was uh, being trade bait for a couple of hours. He was in the Malik Smith shuffle, right? Yeah. Like that's that's uh, uh, Was he? I thought, no. He was in the J.P. Crawford shuffle. We yeah, got I think he was, a Mariner, he was a Mariner for like 10 days. Yeah, and then we flipped him for Edwin Encarnacion, right? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, man, so many names, yeah. <laughs> some guys, but yeah. So the Mariners have a new first baseman in the interim. Uh, he is interesting. He got written up on Fangraphs as a guy who's uh, Xwo Bacon, and uh, just his his results with off speed stuff have come up over the last month or so. I'm really interested to get your take, Durs. Um, on both him as maybe a piece going forward, but in obviously as a replacement for Ty France in the interim. I mean, it's a half year rental because he's a free agent at the end of the year of a league average bat. And honestly, like that's the kind of the perfect player for DePoto to have targeted because he was going to be hella cheap. Also because the Royals were desperate to get Benny Pasquantino up and to get him a spot to hit in the lineup. So um, the Mariners are very shrewd to take advantage of the Royals roster crunch because they also have Nick Prado at first base and they have MJ Melendez who's pushing for playing time with Salvador Perez. So like they've got so many catcher first base types that they kind of had to do something. Um, So to have Santana, you know, 
be the odd man out makes sense for them. And for the Mariners, it's like, we need league average bats, unfortunately. Um, I said this on Twitter, like this is not a trade to be excited about, right? Like I, I wasn't like jumping through hoops, like, oh my God, we got Carlos Santana, but it's a necessary trade. Um, and it's good to know that Jerry still knows how to pick up the phone and that he feels a sense of urgency as well. Um, so this is kind of like, you know, this kind of reminds me of like the Robbie Ray signing in, in, in this way only. This was necessary. Now let's do the extra step afterwards, which Jerry didn't really do after the Ray signing. Um, so like if this is the only move we make, and I don't think it will be, but if this is the only move or the biggest move we make before the trade deadline, I'm going to be upset. Um, to me, this is like a hold, hold me over. Like we need a plug in quickly, get someone in here who can actually swing a bat. And hopefully when France comes back, you know, Santana has a very important role to fill as a bench bat slash maybe UDH him, you know, move him around and they just need depth. And unfortunately, they realize that too late, but better late than never. Agreed. Mikey, do you see anything specific about Santana that you're excited about? Obviously, replacing one of the two to five best bats in Major League Baseball uh, so far this year is is a tall task. But Santana does have some underlying stuff in the numbers this season that indicate that maybe he's on the upswing. Maybe there's some power to be unlocked and that he's kind of finding that peak form that he had a couple of years ago. I mean, first is that literally, maybe literally, I haven't, I haven't checked, but like he walks more than almost anyone, um, which is a trait that the Mariners really value. Uh, yeah. So, you C-Z, know, Z, I, baby. Yeah, I think you start to when you have him, when you have Adam Frazier, uh, even like, you know, guys like Julio, um, they're they have pretty discerning eyes, uh, you know. You, you drive uh, pitchers, uh, pitch counts up. You have Pesker at bats. Um, I think that really should, you know, raise his floor. There's also that he had a 316 Woba in 2020, which is like league average, 294 last year, which is well below league average. And right now it's probably about league average. Um, so, you know, like, yeah, he's, he's around a league average bat. I mean, I always wonder if there's anything that they can kind of tap into. He has 36, but um, I think part of the the differentiation in, in X-Woba and Woba is that um, uh, guy, they shift him, you know? So, like, let's see how often. 40. Oh, good God. Uh, 98% of the time, I believe. Uh, so... Yeah, if I'm looking at that correctly. Um, so yeah, he he's shifted a lot, and you know, it's you lose a lot of singles, and it it just affects you know your kind of your headspace. So I think it's a great addition in terms of you know adding someone who's not. I can't even think of a, a I don't know, uh, uh, Casey Kochman, <laughs> um, Mike you Ford. Know, just, yeah, just yeah, exactly. Like I would much rather watch Carlos Santana than Mike Ford. Uh and again, I think it's I think it's good to have older guys in the clubhouse like him who have been around for a long time and have been really good. Uh so yeah, hopefully he can be a, an above average bat, but 
you know, I'm not expecting too much from him. And like Durs said, I, I will be, you know, pretty disappointed if this is like the move. But I think that that is highly unlikely. In terms of you guys both saying you'll be disappointed if this is the move, what other moves specifically are you guys thinking of? Are you looking for a pitcher? Do you want them to add a second baseman to kind of bump Frazier? What is it you guys have in mind? Whoever wants to go first. I don't think they're going to bump Frazier. Um, I think Jerry made a pretty big point of like going to get Frazier. And we were saying all offseason, you know, Frazier is better if he's the bench bat or if he's like the, you know, send him around all the positions bat. But I don't think they're going to do that. Um, I would obviously most mostly I want them to get another starting pitcher. Um, Like if they go get Montas, that'll be pretty rad Um, or someone like that. You know, I would certainly welcome another bat, especially in the outfield right now with all the injuries they've had. Um, That's I think those are I think the two places where they need help the most. Yeah, um, I think you can easily fit, uh, you know, an outfielder. Uh, I do think you should push Toro down to AAA and Frazier into Toro's role. Um, I, I They could probably use... I don't know. They could probably use a better a better bench bat, but you know, Adam Frazier would become one of those. Uh, yeah, I would like to see a starting pitcher, but realistically, what do you what do you see them doing? Going six man? I don't, I don't think they do that. Um, no, I mean, ideally, you're taking out Flexen, but I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, and really, the worst pitcher has been Marco. Actually, yeah. Um, I just don't care about him. Uh, like <laughs> as, as a as a member of the starting rotation, it's like okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's kind of weird. I I yeah. I feel like again. I I use this example all the time, but like the Dodgers are constantly pushing like Kenta Maeda and Ross Stripling, like good players, into you know swing roles or keeping Gavin Lux on the bench when like he's, you know, he's not ready, but he, uh, you know, might be if he got regular playing time, things like that. I think the Mariners should be doing more of that. I think that if, if Toro's well, not going to hit, should should... Be. well, they have the opportunity to, you know, um, yeah. You, like Toro doesn't need everyday ABs when you're three and a half games out and trying to be competitive. Uh, obviously there's kind of a, a balance there, but, uh, I mean, how long do you watch a guy with, I would guess right now he has like a 70 WRC plus. That's what it feels like at least, uh, 60, like how long do you let a guy like that play? I mean, he's not like striking out a ton, but he's just hitting really lazy fly balls, you know? all the time. So um, you could add literally any player of any position. Um, it's just a matter of if they will, because, you know, Depoto likes sweet talking. I think he could find a way to be like, well, we feel really good about 
you know, the position that our players are, our starting pitchers are in through the end of the season. And we feel like we're going to be getting some reinforcements. So that's why we went and got fucking, I don't know, uh, Marco Scudero. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I, so I think that especially if you're trying to make Toro, you know, improve as a young player, he would, he should be getting everyday ABs in AAA. You know, like he's better suited getting everyday ABs in AAA than playing three times a week in Seattle if the goal is improvement. Um, but I guess, yeah, unless you trade for somebody, like who takes those ABs from him? So that's like, do we even have Donovan Walton anymore? <laughs> I think he's no. gone for good. Donnie Walton yeah. plays for the Giants AAA right now. Oh, I for, well, we've gone back and forth with so many of their guys that I've forgotten <laughs> like who we who we took back and who we no, that's super left fair. With them, so, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I I think that getting a second baseman would be cool, but to me, not the priority. And I know that you say like, oh, what are they going to do with the starting pitching? Like, fucking put Marco in the bullpen, or I know they won't, but like take one of those guys, make him a long relief guy. Um, that's like you, if you want to get better, that's what you have to take the players that are not good and put them in lesser roles. Yeah, that's not how gonna, it works. What are they going to, who are they going to do that with though? I know that's the problem is they should do it with Marco. They won't because of the whole veteran status, bulldog mentality and who he is, but and they his should contract. Yeah. And his contract, but they should, they would do it to, Probably, like you said, Durish Flexen instead, even though he's pitched better and doesn't actually deserve the demotion as much. You could make the argument. You could make the argument that contracts being public knowledge is actually a problem for this reason. Because it's Mm -hmm. a bad look when the team takes a guy who's earning $7 million and is on the books for another four years and you put him in the bullpen. Um, But if we didn't know that, like if, if we didn't know what Marco was making, like they would have no PR hit from doing that because it would be like, yeah, obviously Marco's not put, not pitching well, so he's well, being replaced. They did give up Tyler O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, see, this is this is the um, the sunk cost fallacy, right? Like, you're only playing this guy or keeping this guy around because you gave up so much for him before. But in in that in doing that, you're making yourself hurt more now. But that yeah, cost paid. Yeah. Yes. Let's not overstate it, though, because we we should be clear. The Mariners starting rotation has the lowest ERA in the majors over the last month. That's a true stat. Um, Marco has pitched. The metrics hate Marco's pitching. Like when you're on fan graphs and you read about his stats, it, they just don't like him. It doesn't believe in his underlying skill set. But he somehow keeps managing to get through six innings, seven innings, giving up less yeah. than three runs. I don't know how he's doing it, but he just seems to continue to be more valuable in real life than he is on paper, so to speak. And yeah, it does complicate things because if you were to trade for a starting pitcher, nobody's been bad enough to demote consistently or recently. Like probably the easiest guy to demote is Kirby because a, you're going to run out of innings from him in the short order anyway. And B mm-hmm. he's actually been the shakiest in terms of like getting blown up. Obviously he gave up what eight runs to the Orioles the other day. Um, but I want to, I want to touch on something here real quick, which is that both you guys said, Hey, like, you know, a pitching addition might be nice. The reason why they might not make a starting pitching, pitching addition is because Robbie Ray has improved dramatically since adding a third pitch midway through one of his 
meltdown seemingly <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Mikey's written about it quite a bit. Um, Mikey, will you talk about Robbie Ray's two-seamer and his newfound success? Because we seem to be living through a new era of Robbie Ray. I sure will. Um, let's see. Uh, about a month ago, I, you know, I, I talked about it here, but I wrote about how Robbie Ray was adjusting to to maybe never, you know, sitting ninety five again, um, and probably within two weeks, a week or two, a week and a half or two, he already, you know, started to look pretty different. Uh, how he looked before, you know, during his first change was lots of sliders. Uh, like more than 50% and then fastballs. Then he added a sinker. Uh, it just came kind of out of nowhere. Like he hasn't thrown it consistently since 2015. So, you know, it's seven years gone. Uh, and he's mixing his pitches more. And I find it really fascinating because when you look at Robbie Ray, Clearly, he's just trying to make something work. Um, and when you look at him, it's like your best pitch is your fastball. Your slider's pretty good. It's not working to throw just those two pitches. Um, you could say throw more changeups, but then you're basically saying throw a bad pitch so your good pitches, you know, play better. You could throw more curveballs, but when it does get hit, it gets lit up. So I think. That's kind of why they went with this. And I, I part of the reason I find it really interesting is there's a clear, you know, delineation of where of where he's locating um, his sinker and where he's looking his fastball and, and slider. So he's he's throwing his his sinker off the plate uh, to his arm side. He's throwing his fastball elevated at the top of the zone to his glove side. And then he's throwing a slider uh, down and below the zone to his glove side. And really what he's done is, you know, he's really just pitch tunneling. That's that's the nature of what he's doing is like before hitters are looking, okay. I think as a hitter, you can you can say, okay, I'm looking to the top of the zone. Is it a fastball? No. Is it a, like, is it a slider? Well, no, that's not the question. It's like, is it a fastball? If it is, swing. If it's not, it's probably a slider out of the zone. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't think that that was effective. I, I touched on in the last, you know, the last part of the piece, but I'll, you know, I'll let y'all respond before I get to that. But he's not locating optimally. And so now hitters have to say, okay, you know, is he throwing off the plate? Is he throwing at the top of the zone? Or is he throwing, you know, sliders below the zone? So, you know, um, I think his fastball is still a a, a superior pitch. Uh, but it's giving hitters another look, which is always helpful. Um, and it it is kind of an interesting pitch in terms of... Um, it's got kind of weird shape. It's... It doesn't get as much sink as sinkers, and it but it gets more sweep. So, um, you know, he like I've written about before, he's creating that weird angle to the plate where the slider is. It doesn't get much glove side movement, but he is throwing from a wide release point, and so it, it creates that kind of synthetic sweep 
to the plate and his sinkers is moving the other way. So um, I think they're trying everything. What Mikey said. <laughs> let me ask cool. you this. Mikey, Mikey always gives us the granular deets, but let me ask you in a wider uh, sense, has what you've seen from Robbie Ray over the past couple starts, does that give you hope that he can be the guy who he was supposed to be? And do you think that this version of him has that capability? Well, let's caution this, right? The last three starts have been against bad offenses, right? The Orioles, A's, and someone else who was bad. The Angels, maybe? Yeah, they're not they're not good offense either. Juggernaut. Um, <laughs> so like, yeah, this is good. You know, it's better than him throwing seven innings of one run ball with two strikeouts, right? Which is like kind of along the lines of what he had been doing. But I will wait until we see him do it against real offense. That's kind of my overall take on this. So, you know, transformations are good, but you know, sometimes we think something is changing when really it's just the strength of schedule. So I'm, I guess like the pessimistic part of my brain is just like, I want to see more first, especially cause he's on a five-year deal. And I, you know, this will look real silly if we're like, Oh, remember he had three really great starts in 2022. And here we are with Madison Bumgarner. That's like my biggest fear is that he's Madison Bumgarner. Mikey, do you think that this has changed not just his trajectory with the team? Obviously it has, but do you view his floor and ceiling as different in this incarnation than the guy that we actually acquired? Yeah. Um, the, the sinker. Well, trying to think let me pull up uh his his balls and plays percentage well i was gonna say you know it 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 limits his um oh yeah i will say it it should limit his k percentage a little bit um but not as much as i would have thought um because he throws a lot of balls with the sinker uh 41 percent of his sinkers are thrown for balls so it's kind of interesting that it's his, his main pitch now, or at least it was. I, I don't know if it has been for the last start or two. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like if he's not going to be an elite strike thrower with any of his pitches, it's hard. Because last year, you know, in terms of CSW, he was above 30% with his fastball, barely, and a slider, and his curveball is like 40%. It was like, you know, it was a get me over pitch, but an elite one this year, he has one over 30 and it's a slider. So, you know, to me, it's like, I'm really encouraged by these past several starts and I'm encouraged that he's adapting on the fly. And I think it's really impressive, but I am wondering like what, you know, what, like, what does this look like? Cause he's basically throwing an even split of sinkers, fastballs and fastballs, which are um, uh, sinkers, which is good, but it's like, you know, there, he doesn't have anything that's like, here is my pitch. I'm going to throw it and I dare you to hit it. He doesn't have that anymore. Um, and I don't think the sinker is going to be that. Um, 
I guess the thing I'll say is is the thing that I touched on in the end of my piece is that I think it's a matter of optimizing where he he throws. I think the fastball, rather than throwing it glove side elevated, I think he should throw it, you know, either either arm side or um or at the top like the top the vertical vertical <laughs> middle. No, the vertical top and horizontal <laughs> of the zone. Uh basically he should move everything he's throwing except a sinker to his arm side a little bit. Because hitters don't like lefties don't chase his slider when it's down and away and out of the zone. Righties do sometimes, like back foot sliders, but not very far. And I don't think that he has the command to be able to throw it how he's doing it now. They do chase below the zone a lot. Like the difference is like 23% and like 37% in terms of actual whiffs, like not just chases. So I think between those two, you would see a huge uptick in strikes. It's just a matter of, you know, when I, when I look at his mechanics, I think it is easier for him to throw glove side. Um, so, you know, there's, there is a route, I think, for, for him to get back to, to really throwing strikes, but none of these pitches are, you know, what he had last year. I'll say this. Robbie Ray has been a ride so far this year for the Mariners, right? Whatever we expected, he hasn't been. Whatever we thought we were going to see in any given moment, he's switched it up and he's found a pitch he never had before midway through one of his games. It's just, it's been something. I will say that I think the uptick in performance probably dissuades the Mariners from making an insane pitching trade. And by that, I mean, I still think Noel V and, and maybe somebody else is on the block in the right trade, but it would really surprise me if more than one of the Mariners top five, if not 10 prospects was moved at this deadline. Um, and I think that part of that is because Ray has been better and there's not an emerging need to replace him given the way the team has pitched the last month or so. Um, and that is interesting and it is a development and it is a win for them, even if it's not the win that they actually thought they were getting, so to speak. Right. I think I have a hard time classifying Robbie Ray as a win for the Mariners organization because it doesn't feel like they got what they bargained for or what they paid for. But the results haven't been bad in and of themselves anyways. Is, is any of that making sense? This whole Robbie Ray shenanigans has just been kind of strange for me. I, I have some context. I mean, then we can get some questions. But last five starts, and, and like we said, you know, two good teams, one uh, <laughs> and two bad teams. Um, 25% or really 24.8% K percentage, which is like solid 8% walk percentage. So a 16.8 K minus walk percentage. That's not, it's not great, but it's workable. Uh, 38 ERA minus and 92 FIP minus. So in terms of descriptive results, which basically just means in terms of getting strikeouts, getting walks and limiting home runs, he's been a little bit above average. We'll take it. I guess we don't have a choice, but to take it, do we? Yeah. 
Nope. Well, let's go to uh, let's do some some questions. Uh, we wanted to apologize too. sometimes we have a tendency to gloss over the questions a little bit when people ask specific trade stuff. We're hesitant to answer some of those until some of the pieces fall into place for the trade deadline in particular. Right. Like we can we can go pick teams at spots that the Mariners don't have good players on bad teams. But whether or not there's availability or realisticness for any of that doesn't really come into play until about now, if not even like a month from now. So. Um, we're, we're hesitant on some of those, but we do want to answer as many questions as possible. I want to send this first one over to Durs because it's a question about, um, the CBA draft pick rewards and the AL rookie of the year race. Um, Durs, do you know about those specific rewards and, um, how that goes for the Mariners? I'm not entirely clear on it. No. Um, that's a great question. Actually. I don't know how they solidified that. Did they solidify it so that the the like top one hundred prospects thing matters, or is it? I wasn't under the not. impression that this stuff actually kicked in. I kind of thought that it was all like talked about and hearsay, but not actually. Dis- my impression was that they didn't actually implement this. So if they did, my apologies for being uninformed. But I thought that a lot of that was thrown around as like possible, but not decided on. Am I wrong about this? Do you know, Mikey? Uh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought there was something about like if you are rookie of the year finalist or you're like an MVP or Cy Young finalist within the first X number of years or something, um, then I think you're eligible for pick compensation. We're doing this here in real time, folks. <laughs> Here's what but I, I think- will say. We, we I should... think either way, being a finalist was good enough for that. So, like, the pena of it all, I don't know how much that matters. So, I know that they're getting a bonus. Yeah, this is what I remember. So, there's there's a bonus pool of, of $50 million or whatever, and then when players get awards or votes for awards, they get bonuses based on that. Um, That's all fine. That's additional money for Julio. I kind of expect him to be extended this offseason right like we think regardless of what else happens with the team probably the big move of the offseason is giving julio a big fat contract that he most certainly deserves right yeah and i wonder well the thing is the mayor's definitely going to try because they tried it with jared the question is does julio (laughs) want it like we all assume like oh he loves the game he's just a silly little kid like i don't think we're like respecting his intelligence like i think mm-hmm. he knows that he can get big money on the market you know mm-hmm. so i worry that the mariners are going to like take his enthusiasm and like how excited he is to be a mariner like for granted and be like lowball him but that's why i, I think a deal might not get done i don't think so they know him. That would be such a big deal if the Mariners gave him like a freaking 10 year deal or something like a, a, a Wander Franco contract. That would be pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Franco is honestly the paradigm I see for his contract. They might give him more. They might give him a little what less. Was that they like might... 12, 190 or something that Franco yeah, got? I think, yeah. I think it was 212 actually. But um, okay. yeah, I could definitely see that for Julio. And again, he would deserve it. He's the team's best player. It's very. 
I think we should state not only is he obviously special, but it is very unusual for this to be a discussion point for a rookie to come up, be rookie of the year, to be a team's best player and to immediately be extended and to be the face of the franchise. That's uncommon. He might be a five win player this year. Like he's pacing for a four win, four and a half win season. Well, on fan graphs, he's already got three wins in baseball reference, but um, but he's only getting better now. Like that's with a trash April baked into it. Mm-hmm. So like, I think it's very easy. He could be a five win fan graphs player and a six win baseball reference player this year, which is just absurd. It is. There are obvious could, yeah. rookie warts too. Still, he's, uh, this was two weeks ago now that they showed the statistics, but he was, uh, had the lowest batting average in the American league after two strikes for a while. Uh, that's a rookie wart. He's made a couple of rookie mistakes in the outfield. It's it, it's fascinating to watch Julio and see how good he already is and intellectually understand that he has very evident space to be better and to go nuclear on the whole league. Uh, he's just he's just something else, man. Um, I, I will say um, in regards to the Pena question, um, first of all, I'm going to continue to take victory laps over being the only person at Lookout Landing who correctly <laughs> predicted that Pena was going to be the one to go up against Julio mm-hmm. for Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I think Julio is still going to win Rookie of the Year. Um, even the Pena injury not, notwithstanding, I think Pena is one of those guys. He kind of reminds me of like a Jonathan India type of rookie where like he was just like, hitting his ceiling or like close to his ceiling earlier than most players do. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think India is a great player, but I think he's an above average player who was above average right away, which you don't get from rookies very much. And that's why he won rookie of the year. That's kind of what I see from Pena. I don't think Pena is going to be Carlos Correa, but I think Pena is going to be an above average shortstop for several years. And he's already there, but Julio is like a superstar in the making. And I think that's going to become clear in the second half. You know, I'm just looking over our hitters. Uh, We, we have like a lot of, a lot of good hitters. We don't really have like someone with a ton of thump, you know, in terms of just raw power. Like Suarez is probably the closest one. Well, that's what Julio is supposed to be, right? Like yeah, they're Julio both could be sub, a forty homer guy. Yeah, and they're both sub two hundred ISO. So, yeah, you know, in terms of the raw power, yeah, he definitely he definitely has it. But uh, he hits the ball. You know, he doesn't lift the ball a ton. Um, and yeah, Suarez definitely gets into some. But yeah, um, guess who has the Mariners' highest ISO? Wait, uh, Kyle Raleigh more. Oh, Kyle Lewis. <laughs> oh no! Technicality, obviously, but yeah. I was gonna say small sample. Yeah, oh, that sucks. And next would Anyways. be Mitch Haniger, who also technicality, small sample, and then Cal Raleigh and Taylor Trammell, All which right, is close. not a fluke. We should have a good we offense actually, this year. We should we should talk about Taylor Trammell for a second, who obviously is injured, which is a huge bummer. But the power, the approach at the plate, uh, Mike, you. You tweeted a little bit about his uh, his hitting off speed stuff. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, I I've been looking into it this year ever since you know he's come up and he's he's looked like an above average hitter in terms of results, and um, I mean he's really come on as of late. There were 
you know, kind of some red flags for me. Um, I think he has, you know, he had an issue last year where I think uh, in terms of his bat path, like he was getting under way too many balls. Um, I think he cleaned that up. But like when you look at, and again, small sample size, when you look at his fastball outcomes, he has like a 473 ex-Woba. He's really cut down on the whiffs. Like he's cut them in half or more. Um, but when you look at breaking, it's like he whiffs, I don't know, 45% of the time in general uh, against off or uh, non-fastballs, I should say. Um, which like is fine. Some hitters like Giancarlo Stanton isn't much of a non-fastball hitter, but he rakes. Um, you can make it work, but you have to, you know, um, you really just have to hit for power. Like you have to crush those fastballs and he's doing it right now. I, I kind of doubt that he'll continue to do so. Um, <clears throat> but hitters or uh, pitchers have already adjusted. So I tend to think that he is at this point, a nice fourth or fifth outfielder who can contribute. Uh, what a bummer though, that he's hurt. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say that about his, he does not look like someone who can handle non fastballs yet. looks like even a problem. Maybe. Shall we talk about Taylor Dollard? <laughs> I got tricked by that tweet. I don't know if y'all saw it. What? Oh yeah. 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 I did. Oh see it. yeah. The one, <laughs> one ten Yeah. 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 One of the Mariners analysts, uh, John Edwards, who I, I got some beers with, uh, he just replied, LOL. And I was like, no, <laughs> I got so for, for context. There was a fake MILB Mariners Twitter account that said the Mariners had purchased or sorry, had placed Taylor Dollar on the 40 man. Right. Um, and Mikey ret- or Mikey quote to it was like, hell yeah, baby. <laughs> and it was the fake account. <laughs> I found that very quickly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know how much I have to say about him, but he is uh, metrically super legit. Um, yeah, I wish I had access to to some of his uh, minor league metrics. I mean, not only, I, and I mean like his pitch characteristics, um, but also just in terms of um, how he's pitching. You know, he's he's been really good. So uh, is there news? Is there news about him that I've missed? He's just got a below one ERA in double A. And yeah, that's not his bad. Strikeouts and walks are pretty good. Yeah. He was one of our questions uh, in the discord. Uh, thoughts about Taylor Dollard. Is he the next one up? I tend to think, yeah, he's probably the next one up. I don't know if they're calling him up this year. Um, and Hancock is also pitching ahead of him. Correct. I was going to say, define mm-hmm. what do you define as next one? Like next starting pitcher to make their MLB debut? Like yes, that's my mm-hmm. interpretation of it. Hmm. Like maybe Stout. Levi Stout. Yeah, that was yeah. He's the other option. He's not having as standout of a season, and also is in Double A, and again behind Hancock. Hancock is healthy and been pitching. He's probably next up, right? Like he's mm-hmm. he's in line for potentially since September time. Maybe I I don't know. Maybe. I wonder. I don't think so. Yeah. I think that maybe next year. I fully anticipate that he is going to be 
like trying to think of a comp his stuff like his he throws out of like a pure three-quarter arm slot which it's really hard to throw out of that arm slot and be interesting so I think he's going to be kind of a bulldog and just not very sexy unless they can teach him a cool pitch or something. But um, I'm trying to think of a, a comp. He reminds I me of Jeremy Hellickson a lot, actually. Hmm. It might look something like that. Uh, I mean, with everyone nowadays, there's more whiffs. But yeah, his fastball, his fastball ain't good. Can I can I drop a fun fact about Taylor Dollard? Drop a fun yes. factors. I watched him pitch with the Yakima Valley Pippins in 2017. Damn, what's a Pippin? Where where'd a you bird? catch a Yakima Valley game? I was the broadcaster for the Bend Elks. Was it gotcha. in Yakima? Yeah, it was in Yakima. Yuck. Um he was pretty good. I also saw um former Mariners draft pick Damon Cassetta Stubbs that year. Mm. Um, I also saw current Mariners farmhand Trent Tinglestad that year. Ah, uh, yes. F- and former Mariners farmhand Austin Shenton, who was very good. Hello, current Rays prospect. Yeah. Yes, and I think yes. he's doing decently now too. But... We traded him for Shaggy with with Shaggy for Diego, right? That was how that went. Yeah, yes. Castillo. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Dollard is interesting. I'm. Maybe more interested in Bryce Miller, but um, oh, that's okay. That's the next guy up, I think. Actually, he's in like high A though right now. Yeah, but like I feel like they're gonna fast track bullpen him, and then they're gonna put him like they're gonna. I feel like they're gonna brash him. Hmm. They could, and then put him back in the rotation. Yeah, because he he's got really good stuff. Yeah, he's legit. Um. Anyway, I think we'll do we'll do one more question today uh, from King Hippo. And then also Aaron Parker kind of asked the same thing. He asked, how are the kids doing any breakouts or disappointments brewing? I believe he's he really means next year. He said 2022, but I think he means 2023. And there's also a question about prospects, about uh, Noelvi being out of shape and potentially dropping Edwin Arroyo surging. I think everyone can kind of give their their two cents on this. But in general, the Mariners minor league system is not having an incredible season they're not having a bad year by any stretch and obviously we've talked about this before they graduated to top five overall prospects last year right. slash this year so they were never and that's not including george kirby who also graduated logan gilbert who also and graduated gilbert, last yep. year like realistically all of the major talent was in the high minors has moved up Basically, everyone who is an Emerson Hancock is below double A. Hancock is like the only interesting prospect at double A kind of right now, unless you're really interested in Joe Rizzo, I guess. So so here's what I'll say to to the question from Aaron specifically. And he also asked, should M's fans scratch out some names and pencil in some others on their 2024 future Mariners dream uh, team roster graphics? So here, here's what I'll say to that. You should never pencil in a player who hasn't hit double A yet. Yes. I don't care how good they are. If they're mm-hmm. below double A, don't pencil in anyone. In your brain, on paper, just like, like you can think about them and be like excited for, about them, but don't like consider them a part of the future plans until they've hit double A. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And Marte is good hit in double A in particular because they can well, Joe Rizzo it and hit double A and just be there forever. No, I I think that you know if a guy is at double A, like you can start to like potentially plan for him because as we've seen, players get called up from double A real quick. Like you know that's happening all over the league with Lenny and Sosa in Chicago, with Michael Harris in Atlanta. You know, there's there's a lot of players out there. Um, but I will say with Marte, like he's super young. I think he's still twenty. Um, and he's starting to turn it around with the bat. Like he, he's probably a third baseman, which is fine. Cause I think that was the thought anyway, was that he was going to be a third baseman. So I'm not really concerned with the defense. Um, but I understand that like, oh, that puts more pressure on his bat. His bat has been like, I think is it a, like a one Oh eight WRC plus in high a, hmm. like, I don't think this is like panic worthy. He's not like striking out 40% of the time with like a 70 WRC plus. Like this is not like my worry. meter is not flashing red right now um to me this is just part of the evolutionary development and if you loved Marte before you should still love him now but if you like me like i always thought that the pushing up Marte to like top 10 prospect overall status was super super quick like i didn't i thought it was way too brash to put him up there um and i think that you know if he's a top 50 prospect still which he he is by most outlets like that's still a very good outcome and he might be like an above average third baseman long term, which is cool. I will say Arroyo has been very exciting, but I I caution the same thing I just said about Marte, which is don't pencil him in as the Mariners 2026 shortstop or whatever, you know, until he's at double A. But he's been super exciting and prospect heads are having wet dreams over him. So <laughs> that's wow. that's been kind of fun to see. <laughs> Could have worded it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true, though. <laughs> I, I think with Marte in particular, you're right that his ascension to kind of like a top 10, top 20 guy was really rapid. I think some of that was afterglow, a residual shine from just how astonishing the Mariners prospect development system was for several years back to back to back to back. Um, and people saying he's the next Julio. Literally, no one is the next Julio. Like, I'm sorry. It's just that's not the way. Yeah, that's go. we're going to we're going to be hearing that for like six years, dude. Mm-hmm. Like X player is the next Julio. Like, don't don't buy into it. You guys No player is going to be him. And that's fine. Like, you can still have good players come through the system that aren't Julio. Um, I'm the next Julio. But, <laughs> you know, I bet I bet. Uh, well, I mean, I can see it in real time. This happens with with the Nationals fans it's like, oh, so and so is the next Juan Soto. It's like you're never going to get another Juan Soto. So appreciate the one you have. Mm hmm. That's Mikey right. is the, the Julio <laughs> of uh, of baseball analytics writers, for sure. I will take that. I will. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I will take that. <laughs> Stroke this ego. All I right. Think he's an anything... I think he's, a, he's an Alfredo. Alfredo. Oh, okay. Alberto Rodriguez. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Alfredo Aceves, which is funny. I don't know if I should tell this on the podcast. What do y'all think? <laughs> you don't know the story, so just say yes or no. Sure. I don't know how right. this is gonna go, but let's let's roll with it. My sister was a Kappa Delta, and she had one of her sisters hook up with Alfredo Seves, had a kid with him, and he basically was oh my like, god, you know, like he's not a in the child's life. So, oh, oh dear, I think he might have just was giving her some money and was like, all right, <laughs> there you go, something like that. So shouts Yikes. out to Alfredo Aceves, yeah. 
Goku. Well, That's he is a, a relief pitcher, so his specialty is to show up when he's needed and then dip. So, I mean, I guess. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Oof size large. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else we should cover today? Uh, Mariners wise, podcast wise, baseball wise. Um, what do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Do, do we get to King Hippos? You know, the breakouts and disappointments? Well, we just tried to cover that a little bit. I, I think he's talking about next year, so it's really about the prospects. If he's talking about this year, obviously no, this the breakouts year. are... Well, if it's this year, obviously it's Kirby, Julio, um, Cal, right? Taylor Trammell. Mm. Uh, yeah, Kirby. If we're looking at the farm, it's Arroyo right now. It's like the Edwin Arroyo show. Because he just he just uh, popped into the Baseball America Top 100, which is really mm-hmm. cool. He's like in the 90s, low, the 90s somewhere. Um, so that's a cool shout out, but again, he's a teenager. Um, otherwise, like again, it's been cool to see Hancock on the mound. Um, I still think he could be something. So, you know, don't, you know, forget about Hancock, I guess. Otherwise, it's you know, there's it's not like last year, like you said, where we don't have like a million super exciting guys. Dollard is like the other big one, Bryce Miller. That those are like all the big names, I would say, in the farm right now. Harry Ford has been decent, but yeah, it's been amazing. I... The thing with all the guys is that they're so far away. The good performance means they're getting promoted from like you know low A to A or or from high A to double A, and that's right. exciting. But it's not the same kind of exciting as going to. Oh, to wasn't there a who's that guy that threw the no hitter for the Aqua Sox? He's been like a somewhat of a pop up prospect, right? Oh, I have no idea. I'm not sure okay. if I, if I Hold heard on. this. Most of my Mariners prospects snooping these days is me seeing if Evan White has played. And the answer, if you're wondering, is no. (laughs) Uh, It's Juan Mercedes. Juan Mm. Mercedes. Yeah. And uh, he's he's been kind of a pop up prospect. Mm. Um, Now I got to look up his statistics, but he's been like a guy whose name I've seen pop up on Twitter every now and again. Why you why you pull that up? uh, I do have. Uh, Matt Brash is throwing 97, like nine, like sitting 98 to 100. Uh, his sweeper is now 87 to 90, sitting 87. Um, and in terms of IVB or induced vertical break, he's at like negative one with 14 inches of sweep. So um, I think his stuff actually has ticked up in the bullpen, which I was uh, very openly, you know, kind of uh, skeptical about. But um, that's exciting. Uh, Juan Mercedes has been uh, pretty good. He's got 80 strikeouts in 60, 69 innings. Um, and he's only 22 in high A and he's got a ERA below four. Um, so he's a potential guy. So true. Bestie. But again, again, he's not in double A yet. So I, maybe I shouldn't even be talking about Bryce Miller. Cause I just said like, unless a guy's in double A, nah, what I'm saying nah, is nah, like, nah. don't, don't bank it. Don't bank on a guy being a part of the future until double, until he's a double A. But no, mm-hmm. I totally I agree. Think, but Bryce, yeah. Bryce Miller stepped up. Yeah. Anyway, so we got some pictures as usual. Um, what? Here's what I'm guessing. Some of these guys are gonna be trade bait. I wonder if 
Correct. you know, one of those prospects we just talked about is probably going to be gone by the time August rolls around. So like Miller, Mercedes, I Dollard. bet it would be someone like I. I think Dollard and and Miller are really like prime targets. Yeah, probably. Um, let's see. I did have. I don't think we talked about we talked about Cal Raleigh as much the last time around. So there's also that if we want to touch on that real quick. Cal Raleigh, who has a 10% walk rate and is absolutely crushing it, Cal Raleigh. I, I said this unreal. little look at landing people. If he's Mike Zanino, I'm thrilled. And I think he might be Mike Zanino. So that's pretty cool. I don't think so. I think he might be a better hitter, at least more consistent. Uh, his ex will bacon is, and well, that might be inflated because he whiffs a lot. But. Uh, his ex Woba is like 348. His his barrels per PA is almost exactly twice league average. Um, I think he's for real. He just doesn't hit ground balls. He just does not hit ground balls. It's unreal. Like literally half of MLB in terms of like topped percentage. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. So. I don't know. Someone asked me the other day and yeah, he does pop a lot of balls up and those are automatic outs, but he hits a lot of fly balls and line drives and he hits them down the line or at least like, you know, doesn't hit them to like left center and right center so much, um, which makes for a lot that fly over the fence. So yeah, I, yeah, I guess he is a Nino esque, but Zanino never walked this much mm-hmm. like ever. Right. Um, and yeah, the whiffs are an issue, but it's also really interesting. I've never seen this before and I'm just coming across it right now. His meatball swing percentage is 97%. So like if you give him a shit pitch, he's going to, he is guaranteed to swing at it. Um, I don't know. I just find that kind of interesting because I've never seen a, a figure that high before. But uh, yeah, catchers are, are are notorious for developing late in terms of hitting, and the same can be and said. And so are switch, switch hitters. hitters. Yeah, yeah. So, and he's both. Yeah. Um, it would be a huge shot in the arm to get a catcher that can that can hit and frame and do everything just well enough. Um, at the very least, we have a a a, a good backup catcher on our hands. So. It's encouraging. And, you know, someone who's worked with like Logan Gilbert a lot throughout the system. So good, like long-standing rapport. So, yeah, I'm excited about him. And I previously was not. Scott loves Cal. He had so much praise for him over the last couple of days and weeks. He was on uh, on Tuesday on 710 and just heaping praise on Cal on the radio. He's really impressed with how he's grown into the pitching staff. Obviously, we talked a little bit earlier uh, in the season about how Cal was essentially made the team as Robbie Ray's personal catcher coming out of spring training. That has not been a one-to-one thing. Obviously, Torrens has caught here and there, and Tom Murphy obviously got the Lions share of playing time once upon a time. Uh, but Cal has become the de facto starting catcher for this team, and I don't think I, I agree. I don't think it should go understated or underrated what a development that is and what a win mm-hmm. that is for this team. 
and how rare it is. Again, he's a switch hitting catcher who can hit. He has 117 WRC plus. Did people see Cal the first week? That guy has 117 WRC plus. Like that is the <laughs> development. Yeah, he was not good that first with, week. You know, with Julio. So, Julio is cool. always going to do this though, and Julio is also 21, and Cal is 25. I want to say 26. Mm. Still young, though. Still very much yeah. uh, a prospect for this team. So, very cool. Um, maybe yeah. the last thing we should touch on, since we are the Pitching Mariners podcast, uh, is George Kirby. Yar. I actually haven't caught him uh, the last um, outing or two. I have, well, I've been really busy. Well, no, Cal Raleigh probably has. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, Durs, why don't, why don't you talk about him while I uh, look up just you know, different things. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of, I think we've said this before <laughs> that we, we kind of expected Kirby to have like a Gilbert last year season where mm-hmm. he came in, you know, he was, he was a good pitcher, but he's not at his peak yet. Um, but he's been better. I think than Gilbert was his first year. And I think that was clear right away. His command was a lot better off the rip. And he was also, I remember in that first start that he had very confident with his breaking pitches. He was throwing those right away. Um, and also just like, because for him, command has never been an issue. I think that we are, you know, we're expecting that his stuff is going to be more what's going to develop over time. Um, but between him and Logan Gilbert, I'm super excited. I think the two of them could be like a super solid one, two, maybe two, three, if, Ray is still good punch in the rotation. Like that's a very good top three. That's a playoff top three. If the Mariners can actually get their way there. Um, so, you know, I mentioned the Mariners could use another starter. Like just imagine how deep their rotation would be if they have like those three guys, plus like a Montas or, a, uh, I'm going to allow myself to dream a Pablo Lopez, <laughs> you know, up there yeah. and Jerry loves his retread players. You know, he loves to get the guys he traded away. Um, that's going to be my dream forever. But anyway, mm. yes, I'm excited about Kirby and uh, it's, it's fun to watch him pitch because he's got good stuff and good command. Um, I think the stuff is like, like Mikey's told us before, mostly buoyed by just his fastball being super hard. And I mm-hmm. worry in three, four years, what he'll be like when he doesn't have that to lean on anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think the fastball, the shape's not great. We talked a lot about that with Joe. Uh, but it is hard, and I, I think that allows other stuff to play up. I think the slider is good. I think the changeup is actually maybe his best pitch. He just, I, I don't think, you know, based on how he uses it, I don't think that he really has feel for it. But, like, it it is inconsistent, but it, it gets some pretty pretty sick movement at times um and so yeah i mean when i'm looking at his his peripherals for his other pitches and 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 just in terms of whiffs it's pretty not great (laughs) um like his fastball a fastball shouldn't really be your best pitch in terms of whiffs really like ever unless you have an elite elite fastball uh and that's not what I would call his fastball. Like I would say right now, it's probably a 55 grade pitch. Um, but yeah, he doesn't really throw anything for strikes. Uh, the slider, you know, he throws it a lot, but it's, 
it just it, it reminds me of of kind of uh like he really does remind me of Logan Gilbert from last year just with better command uh in terms of his stuff uh but Logan Gilbert had the better fastball so um yeah he's a treat to watch I mean he just he just paints he just has like 70 80 grade command uh but really him and him and brash are like my two favorite kind of archetypes because brash it's like he'll be something and with gilbert or with uh, kirby it's like you know he has the fastball and he has the command as two really solid foundational pieces if you teach him one plus pitch if you teach him a sweeper or you teach him you know a, a spike curveball he'll be unreal um you know that's what happened with shane bieber although the difference between the two because he gets comp to Bieber a lot. Is Bieber had, you know, developing breaking balls moving up. Uh, I wouldn't say that's the case with Kirby. And anyone who says that is the case, I would argue that. He's really fun to watch. I think that I feel super blessed because uh, pitching is my favorite thing about baseball. And as much fun as it's been to watch Julio, obviously, who is a sensation in and of his own right. Uh, I think Kirby has been the biggest surprise and the biggest like pleasure for me watching Mariners this season has been his development. And I agree with you. I think that he is kind of like a tweak away from being even more special, um, but he's not a finished product. Obviously, you know, we saw this with Logan. He needed an off season to decompress, to check out all the data, all the, you know, the, the track man stuff on his pitching and, and develop a new plan and sharpen up some of the secondaries. I think that Kirby is on the same track. Um, and he's ahead of schedule, frankly, because we uh, we kind of needed him in there and um, he might not get to finish pitching the entire season, just given the way the innings worked out and his injuries last year. But there, you know, I, I think that we got some comments today about for the Look at Landing podcast. It was don't be depressing. And I thought that was funny. But I also I do want to stress that, like, <laughs> we're having fun with this team because the prospects are panning out. And last year was fun. Don't get me wrong. But last year felt like a lie often, right? Like banking the, mm. the team's success on Jake Fraley walk-off walks in the 11th. Like, I didn't really want to do that long-term. I wanted some <laughs> of the kids to be good. I wanted Cal Raleigh to hit. I wanted Jerry to hit. I wanted Kyle Lewis to be healthy. And the fact that we've gotten Kyle, or excuse me, not Kyle. It's Freudian slip there. But we've gotten uh, Logan Gilbert, Kirby, Julio, Cal, Taylor Trammell, all hitting on all cylinders is a really, really fun time for me personally and just in the mm-hmm. development of the team, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Anything else for today, guys? I'm actually really hungry, so I'm, I'm ready for dinner. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I, I, I gotta, I'm going to go study and shit, something. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm Evan. You can find me on Twitter at Evan James Audio. You can find Michael on Twitter at Kuya Mikey. You can find Anders at Anders Jorstad. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast, wherever it is you stream. Uh, I will also link that in the description or the the write-up for the podcast as well. Additionally, you can find the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Seattle. Again, I will link that in the description. Uh, thank you for listening. Go Mariners, and feel free to join the Discord, which, again, will be in the, the description. Links. So check that out.